Well, welcome to the White House. It's great to see you all. And happy St. Patrick's Day, or should I say, happy St. Patrick's Week, the way it's going. You know, there's an old Irish saying. There's all kinds of old Irish sayings. This is my grandfather Finnegan. I think he made them up. But uh, it says, may the, may the hinges of our friendship never go rusty. Well, with these two folks that you're going about to meet, if you haven't already, there's no doubt about them staying oiled and lubricated here. Ladies and gentlemen. Do you try to accommodate uh, those principal things and a few others within that 45 or 50 minutes uh, with the president himself? Now always be an opportunity to have two or three minutes with the president in private to say, look, there are a couple of other things that you should know. The, the Irish are the only country on earth that occupies an entire day on the American calendar with three speeches from the president of the United States. From the U.S. Embassy in Dublin, this is The Diplomatic Pouch. I'm Dermot Keane from the Public Affairs Office. And I'm John B. Murphy. Welcome back. This month of March has been declared Irish American Heritage Month by President Joe Biden. He said that the fabric of modern America is woven through with the green of the Emerald Isle. This week, we are looking at St. Patrick's Day at the White House and all that surrounds the biggest day on the Irish American calendar. We have some great guests to give their account of the day. I'm delighted to say, including two former Taoiseach, John Bruton and Enda Kenny. And we hear from Barack Obama's former speechwriter, Cody Keenan, and author and broadcaster, Derville MacDonald. On St. Patrick's Day, the United States and Ireland celebrate the historic cultural ties that underpin our robust and long-standing partnership. Our commitment to democratic values and our shared spirit of resilience and determination lies at the heart of our cooperation. Of course, this year's engagements at the White House will be very different. In light of the COVID-19 pandemic, President Biden will host Irish Taoiseach Micheál Martin for a virtual bilateral meeting to reaffirm the United States' close partnership with Ireland. So let's go back to the beginning, because I know people are now familiar with the president and the Taoiseach and the bowl of shamrock. But how did this all begin? The shamrock ceremony at the White House has become an annual event, but none of this happened by accident. The story of how Ireland forged such close political links with the United States started out as a piece of hard headed bridge building in 1952. Let's hear now from Dr. Michael Kennedy, who is executive editor of Documents and Irish Foreign Policy at the Royal Irish Academy, who will tell us about the origins of this ceremony. There was a sense that in Washington, the Irish embassy, as it was to become, didn't quite have the relationship that it should have with uh, the White House, with the State Department, and with, with Capitol Hill. So the idea of one ambassador, John Hearn, uh, he'd just become ambassador in the early 1950s, a very uh, seasoned diplomat, a, a man whose career in foreign affairs went back to the, the late 1920s. Uh, ambassador John Hearn had this idea that uh, Hearn decided to make contact with the White House uh, in 1952, St. Patrick's Day 1952, and he would have shamrock specially flown in from Ireland that he could leave personally at the White House uh, for uh, President Truman. 
Now, as it turned out, uh, Truman was on holidays in Key West and Florida at the time. But in response, Truman uh, sent via Ambassador Hearn to President Sean T. O'Kelly and to the people of Ireland his felicitations, as he put it, felicitations and sincere good wishes on the national holiday of Ireland. And he said, please accept my thanks for this little box of shamrock uh, which reached me fresh and green at Key West on this feast day of Ireland's patron saint. And he expressed to Hearn his hope that there would be uh, a amicable relations between uh, the two countries uh, into the future. He said they had always existed in the past, and he hoped that they would continue uh, in the long generations to come. And that's a, an important point that Truman is making and a very important action that Hearn has carried out because he's gone some distance to trying to overcome the many problems that there were in Irish-American relations after the war and inject an air of cordiality into a relationship that was not only made difficult because of Ireland's wartime neutrality, but also because of Ireland's decision not to join NATO and Ireland not being a member of the, the United Nations and a sense of where was Ireland actually positioning itself in the Cold War. So the origins of the Shamrock Ceremony really can be seen in uh, Ireland needing to reposition itself in the world of the, the 1950s, in the divided world of the Cold War, and make a place for itself and maybe remind Washington that Ireland actually existed and that there was a very important relationship between the two countries, e even if in some sense it was a relationship based on diaspora and based on historical connections, emigration, uh, rather than uh, power politics and the, um, the divide of the Cold War. There is a ratcheting up of connections between the Irish Embassy and the White House. Ireland is looking to find a place for itself, but then comes along a very Irish-American president. The unexpectedly delayed climax saw Senator Kennedy the victor with a clear margin of electoral votes. At 43 years of age, he is the youngest man ever voted into the White House and the first Catholic chief executive in the history of the nation. Indeed, the election of John F. Kennedy is not just hugely important for Irish America, the United States and the Western world, but of course for Ireland itself. And it's not lost on the Irish Embassy in Washington DC, a very seasoned diplomat on his last posting called Thomas Kiernan seizes the opportunity to ratchet up the significance of the Shamrock Ceremony. Let's hear more from Dr. Michael Kennedy on how the ceremony begins to transform. And then by the time Kennedy enters the White House, uh, the Shamrock Ceremony is being used, I think, to, to really show the connections between Ireland and America uh, in a strong strategic sense in the in that decade where Ireland is trying to modernize, where America is seen as the epitome of, of all things modern. And the, uh, the fact of having an Irish American, a Catholic in the White House is really important uh, for uh, the Department of External Affairs, uh, for Taoiseach Sean Lamas, because for the first time, the State Department, which would be traditionally uh, Anglophile and looking more to the special relationship and to London, has to 
be well briefed on Irish affairs because the president, for whatever reason, is interested in Ireland. And, and there's you know discussion as to how interested in Ireland in a practical sense Kennedy actually was. But it's clear that he certainly was interested in terms of his own family background. That you know, Ireland in the 1960s is buying uh, aircraft for Aer Lingus from Boeing. You know, you don't get more modern in the, the 60s than the, the Boeing 707 and the, the 747 in the late 60s. CIE are buying their uh, railway locomotives from General Motors. So, you know, the, the Irish-American trade connection is, is there. And that's really what's happening, I think, in the 60s, that you've, you've got the, the sense of kind of living the dream, living the Camelot dream and the and, and what Kennedy and his administration and his wider entourage stand for. But underneath the surface, then, there's, there's a, a very important trade and economic perspective to the Shamrock Ceremony in, in, the, uh, in the 60s, un, under Kennedy in particular. After Kennedy's assassination, President Johnson continues the Shamrock Ceremony, which becomes somewhat of an homage to JFK. By now, in the Irish Foreign Policy Files, the ceremony is talked of as a tradition. In different presidencies, there has been different positions on the ceremony, different degrees of interest. It's waxed and waned, but the presentation of the bowl of shamrock has remained consistent throughout. But let's fast forward somewhat to the 1980s with President Reagan in power, who of course was a proud Irish American. The blessed St. Patrick, we are told, died on this day in the year of our Lord, 461. And leave it to the Irish to be carrying on a wake for 1,500 years. Reagan as the showman, uh, he really does dominate the, the, uh, the, the shamrockery, if you like, of the, 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 uh, of the ceremony. I'm honored to receive this shamrock and will wear it as an expression of my hope for peace and goodwill in the year ahead. Friendship with Ireland and the Irish people is deep and enduring. And he um, embellishes it and he plays to the gallery on it. And he's, he's very conscious of his, his own Irish roots. And I think in, in 1984, when uh, Reagan met Gary Fitzgerald at the White House, there was Shamrock by the Hundredweight, one of the, the, the newspapers said. Um, but what's really important in this is that Dublin is trying to get the president to endorse its Anglo-Irish policy. And that's a policy of, of peace and uh, peaceful change in, in, in Northern Ireland and ensuring an, an end to the troubles. So getting Reagan on side is really important for Dublin, not only getting him on side, but trying to get him to influence Margaret Thatcher so that in the period of the Anglo-Irish Agreement of 1985 and uh, uh, that Thatcher is, anytime she is in touch with Reagan, she gets a briefing on um, the state of British-Irish relations and what's going on in Northern Ireland. So Dublin uses the Shamrock Ceremony in the 1980s to influence Reagan uh, over uh, events in Northern Ireland and in turn to get him to have an influence on Margaret Thatcher in London. By the end of the Reagan presidency, the Shamrock Ceremony is now being used to announce important aspects of American involvement in Irish and Northern Irish affairs. Speeches during the Shamrock Ceremony now all deal with the troubles in Northern Ireland and getting solutions to the troubles. Good morning. Please be seated. Happy St. Patrick's Day. 
It's a great pleasure for me to welcome the Prime Minister here. This is the Taoiseach's first visit to the United States uh, since he assumed office. Uh, so on this St. Patrick's Day, I think we should begin with an appropriate greeting. Cade Mila Falsha, 100,000 welcomes. So that brings us up to Bill Clinton, who was instrumental in securing peace in Northern Ireland. We spoke to former Taoiseach John Bruton, who was Taoiseach from 1994 to 1997, about his engagements with President Clinton at the White House. It's really important for Irish people to understand that having the St. Patrick's Day meeting every year with the President of the United States is a huge diplomatic advantage for Ireland. Um, I was Taoiseach at the same time as uh, Jean Chrétien was Premier of Prime Minister of Canada. The United States has a much bigger, more important relationship with Canada than it has with Ireland, even though its relationship with Ireland is important. And yet I think I had met the President of the United States twice, if not three times, before Jean Chrétien was able to come to Washington for a meeting. Now, to my mind, that doesn't reflect the relative importance of Ireland and Canada. It doesn't reflect in any way on Jean Chrétien or on me, but it just indicates that this ritual, if you like, of St. Patrick's Day is a hugely valuable opportunity for an Irish teacher, whoever he or she may be, to have face time, so to speak. At this historic moment, I salute Prime Minister Bruton for his tireless efforts for peace and for continuing the work of his predecessor, Prime Minister Reynolds, and completing the joint framework document for Northern Ireland with the British Prime Minister, John Major, who also deserves our salutes for the brave risks that he has taken to make it's peace. It's a wonderful honor for me to be received here as the leader of an Irish government of a country, Ireland, that's now at peace. At peace after 25 years of violence. I want to say that you, Mr. President, probably as much as any individual have helped to bring that about. The United States, uh, through the then administration of President Clinton, had been very helpful in persuading uh, Sinn Féin that violence was a cul-de-sac um, and that they should enter into uh, negotiations to move towards politics. But this was done on the part of Sinn Féin quite hesitantly and we had to encourage them. What struck me uh, in general of the, about these meetings is that first of all I was seeking to impress upon the president, uh, it wasn't really necessary but I did it, that he needed and the United States needed to listen to both communities in Northern Ireland, that there wouldn't be a settlement solely on the basis of the nationalist community being happy, that the unionist community had also to be satisfied. And uh, I didn't need to press that with him because I think he understood that very well, but I did make that point uh, to him. And it continued to be a point that I think needed to be underlined in Irish America, that it wasn't simply a question of nationalists taking over, that it was a question of reaching an accommodation that respected unionist uh, concerns and unionist allegiances, as well as nationalist uh, allegiances. And that was the basis upon which we worked, and that was the basis upon which the Good Friday Agreement was eventually um, agreed by my successor, Bertrand. Mr. President, with the three leaves merging into one, 
The shamrock provides a perfect symbol of how different traditions can come together and find common cause. It's a unifying emblem. So let's talk about what happens on the day itself, because it's not just a shamrock ceremony. JB, there's a lot more That's to right, it. That's right, Dermot. It's a full day of events with the most powerful politicians in the United States. We will now hear from former Taoiseach Enda Kenny, who went to the White House for St. Patrick's Day seven times while he was in office between 2011 and 2017. And he gives us a rundown of the day. We also hear from Cody Keenan, who was President Obama's former speechwriter on his recollections of St. Patrick's Day in the White House. Uh, the day actually starts from eight in the morning when you visit the uh, Naval Observatory, which is the uh, the, the formal residence of the vice president. And he or she has a, has a breakfast there with the important people from around America and Irish America in situ. And then you go down to the White House, you have a meeting with your own people in the Roosevelt Room, then go to the Oval Office and meet the president. And there are set things that you speak about and some things that you didn't think might come up would do come up. You have a press conference afterwards, then you've got the speaker's lunch, you got meetings in capital with the Republicans and Democrats, the Irish American Caucus, Senator Leahy, others. Um, then there's the return to the White House for the West Wing and the East Room of the, of the White House for the presentation of the Shamrock, the symbolic presentation of that. And then a big Irish function in the Willard Hotel, followed by another, uh, another reception in the Irish uh, residence of the Irish ambassador. Um, where people from different walks of business and political life meet. So really, in that sense, it's, um, it's an important occasion. And that's why I say of Ireland tonight what I said in Dublin last May. This little country that inspires the biggest things, its best days are still ahead. So I propose a toast to the Taoiseach and the people of Ireland. Do I have uh, any, Where, where's my drink? Here it is, here it is. All right, here we go. It's only water, but obviously somebody didn't prepare. <laughs> to quote your first president, Douglas Hyde, a word is more lasting than the riches of the world. Tonight, grateful for our shared past and hopeful for our common future, I give my word to you, Mr. Prime Minister, and to the people of Ireland, as long as I am president, you will have a strong friend, a steadfast ally, and a faithful partner in the United States of America. Ladies and gentlemen, Taoiseach Kenny. Uh, it's one of the best days of the year. Um, I was not aware that it was a thing before we got to the White House. It was, it's something, it's one of those, you know, again, when you get to the White House, you don't realize all the annual speeches a president has to give. Um, uh, so the, the, you have to think about the, the, the power of the Irish American lobby. It's the only group that gets three speeches annually on the same day. So I remember somebody came to us, the speechwriters, and said, hey, so it turns out the president has to give three speeches on St. Patrick's Day. Um, one, when the T-shirt comes with the, uh, the bowl of shamrocks, that's more of a kind of diplomatic business speech. One at the Congress, it's the speaker's lunch where Democrats and Republicans sit together and tell stories. And uh, the third is an evening reception at the White House. <clears throat> so uh, go to work. Um, 
so I, you know, I didn't just volunteer. I demanded to be able to, to do all three of them in my first year. Uh, and then the, the trick is making sure they're all different. You know, you don't want, you don't want to repeat the same anecdote or um, line of poetry or, you know, phrase. Uh, so I would just read nonstop and try to find as much as I could, as many fun anecdotes about the Irish American relationship. Um, as I said before, as much poetry as I could without having to beg Colin McCann for more. Cody Keenan there, a proud Irish American who had the honor of writing nearly all of President Obama's Ireland theme speeches. But it's not all shamrocks and shillelaghs. Correct. Jimmy. We heard earlier how peace in Northern Ireland was at the heart of many Oval Office discussions. But let's have a listen to former Taoiseach Inda Kenny and John Bruton on other substantive issues that were raised during the bilateral discussions in the Oval Office when they visited. Sort of at the, at the form, formality in the Oval Office with the President, there are set things that are usually discussed. One of those was the, uh, you know, undocumented Irish was always an issue that was raised. The appointment of an ambassador, the question of a Northern Ireland envoy, interest from the from the White House in the in the business of, of, of Northern Ireland, the protection of the Good Friday Agreement, and all of those issues. Do you try to accommodate uh, those principal things and a few others within that forty-five or fifty minutes uh, with the president himself? And always be an opportunity to have two or three minutes with the president in private to say, look, there are a couple of other things that you should know. And, uh, and have that opportunity. So really, really, if it's well used, and it is generally very well, very well used, it's an important element of the bilateral arrangement between, between Ireland and the United States. Our economy is stabilizing, our exports are thriving, our international reputation is being restored, Ireland is building itself a better future. Today, Mr. President, Ireland thanks America. We thank you for the centuries where you gave us shelter and refuge and opportunity and above all, where you gave us hope. Because there were substantive issues to be discussed. Uh, the United States was interacting with the British government, it was interacting with the Irish government, and it was informally interacting with all the parties in Northern Ireland with a view to getting them together. Uh, so we needed to compare notes, so to speak, on how things were going on that. Um, also, I mean, we did from time to time discuss substantive issues. I remember having a discussion with President Clinton about Hel Helms Burton legislation, which was extraterritorial American legislation, um, which interfered with certain, certain privileges that the European Union had enjoyed. And I pointed out to him that the United States had gone to war with the United Kingdom in 1812 over the same sort of extraterritorial legislation on the part of the United Kingdom at that time, and that we needed to avoid extraterritorial legislation. I uh, finally want to say that I am very much looking forward to our reception tonight at the White House. I'm glad that uh, you, Mr. Prime Minister, and Mrs. Bruton will join us, and uh, we're going to have a high old Irish time. <laughs> now, unfortunately, myself and JB have never been invited to the Shamrock Ceremony at the White House. But maybe next year, if the White House are listening, we may get an invite and we could broadcast this podcast live from the diplomatic room. What That'd do you be think? Great. Fingers crossed. Or lacoon of J, as we would say in Gaelic. 
However, we do know some people who attended the evening reception in the White House on St. Patrick's Day. So let's hear from author, broadcaster and Eisenhower fellow Derval MacDonald and former speechwriter for President Obama, Cody Keenan. I've actually had the um, privilege of being to the White House on two occasions. It is an extraordinary thing, um, you know, when you get that embossed card uh, inviting you to go to the White House, um, all of which I've kept. I've kept all of the mementos um, from it. And it really is an extraordinary experience, regardless of your politics or who or what you support. But it is really stunning just to walk in the doors um, the sense of history is really, really um, breathtaking, actually. There's a real sense of history being in the White House, you know, um, uh, going around, having a little peek in the rooms, seeing the um, seeing the, the cinema and everything um, that was there. It's a bit, it's like a bit of a mad sort of party sort of festivity on the actual day, just in advance of the, um, of the shamrock ceremony. There's lots of music, there's lots of, you know, different uh, kind of cultural experiences that you can enjoy. But then I suppose it all just culminates in this big ceremony. And what we get to see at home is kind of, you know, the images beamed in, kind of, of the shamrock or whatever being handed over. But behind the scenes, it is an absolute two, sometimes three week frenzy where Ireland goes on tour. Actually, since the birth of America on March 17, 1776, when the British uh, forces uh, under Sir William Howe evacuated Boston, literally uh, there was a password to get to George Washington's encampment, and it was St. Patrick. That was the password. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that still works here in the White House. Just ask, just ask Bill Daly or Tom Donlan or uh, McDonough or Brennan, the entire national security team. Uh, it's still St. Patrick. Uh, I went to all of them, <laughs> all of them except that one year I missed, uh, just because it was fun and um, you get to meet interesting people. And you know there was Guinness flowing one night a year. Um, and they would often go. They they would often go off to. I don't know who would throw them, but there'd be other parties around town, just filled with the Irish, and people would sing. And I got to meet a bunch of great friends over the years. Um, I got involved in the Washington Ireland program out of it, um, which has brought me over to Ireland a couple times. Um, and you just kind of develop these lasting friendships. You know, now whenever I come over and visit, you know, I have sets of friends there that I didn't eight years earlier. And that's all because of working in the White House. Um, and it was just always fun, you know, being able to write speeches celebrating Ireland and America. It's, it's, it's easier than um, when we'd have to write with other countries, you know, and because there's so much joy there uh, in, a, in a way, and there's so much joy in history that a bunch of, a bunch of our other relationships with other countries, we just don't have that. And, you know, Ireland's there on every major, you know, we always said the National Security Council staff would always say, all right, make sure this is in speech, make sure this is in speech, because they're doing business, they're doing their jobs. Ireland's always there on everything. Um, and it just made it a lot easier on the speech writers. The, the Irish are the only country on earth that occupies an entire day on the American calendar with three speeches from the President of the United States. Yeah, I think it is really, really important. So when you look at the invite list to the White House Shamrock Ceremony, um, nothing is accidental. Um, everything is intentional um, and in a good way. It is highly 
thematic. So the mix of people that you get, you know, whether it is business, politics, culture, whether it is, you know, people who are entrepreneurs, whether it is uh, people who are involved in, particularly in, in peace building and in community work, there's a strong emphasis on community. There's also a strong emphasis um, on young people. And I think that is a really, really important. So you'll see a huge divide in, in ages and everything, but the young people in particular who are there get to see, I think, the value of all of those intense, intense years of managing the um, east-west relationship, the north-south, but also the transatlantic relationship. So they get to see, I think, the fruits um, of that buy-in. So behind all of the kind of the, the, the glitzy photographs and the shamrock, there is serious, serious business. It's fitting that we gather here each year to celebrate St. Patrick and his legacy. He too, of course, was an immigrant. And though he is, of course, the patron saint of Ireland for many people around the globe, he's also a symbol of, indeed, the patron of immigrants. Deprived of opportunity, of safety, of even food itself, the Irish believed. And four decades before Lady Liberty lifted her lamp, we were the wretched refuse on the teeming shore. We believed in the shelter of America, in the compassion of America, in the opportunity of America. The day itself doesn't all take place at the White House, as we heard earlier. Over at the Capitol, a short walk away, the Speaker of the House of Representatives hosts a lunch. In 1983, House Speaker Thomas Tip O'Neill hosted the first St. Patrick's Day lunch at the US Capitol. President Ronald Reagan and other House and Senate members attended the event. But a little known fact is the House arranged the festivities that year to ease the tensions between the two Irish-American leaders who embodied distinctive conservative and liberal political persuasions. I'm going to open this meeting with this gavel. This, Mr. President, is the gavel that Tip O'Neill's family gave him when he became Speaker. Peter, it's Waterford Crystal. You can, you can only use it gently, if not only once. <laughs> In welcoming Taoiseach, who I've gotten to know very well, my friend, we discussed a lot of things that were of great interest to all of us uh, just a little while ago in the Oval Office. May we find inspiration in the example of those who came before. May we draw new strength from the noble example of St. Patrick, and may we all be blessed by the luck of the Irish. That's a good thing, the luck of the Irish. The luncheon has now become an annual event on Capitol Hill for people of all political affiliations and ethnicities. So let's go back to former Tishik. John Bruton and Enda Kenny, who talk about the importance of the event. Well, obviously, there would be the Speaker's Lunch, where you would meet a whole range of members of Congress. And indeed, although politics in the United States was not as divided then as it is now, you had the sense that somehow or other, the members of Congress in the United States welcomed the Speaker's Lunch because they were able to chat to one another across party lines in a more easy way than would be part of their normal week uh, of interaction in Congress. Uh, and uh, whoever the Taoiseach is serves on the European Council. Quite, it, it, I often thought from my meetings in, 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 on Capitol Hill with, with senators and Congress people of, of, of both parties, that clearly there's, there is a need for 
uh, a far greater degree of understanding between the United States uh, and the European Union. Difficult for the American system or anybody else indeed to figure out how 28, now 27 countries can make progress on all of these issues when you sit around the, the European table, different languages, different electoral systems, different, uh, different backgrounds and different priorities for people. Uh, in the same way as oftentimes it's difficult to understand you know, that the, the states have their own authority in the United States and the federal government sits atop all of that. They're two different systems, um, but important for, for America to have known uh, that Ireland progressed to an unbelievable extent in the 50 years of its membership of the European Union. St. Patrick's Day at the White House, or St. Patrick's Week as it has become, is now a vital trade mission. Dervil MacDonald and former Taoiseach Enda Kenny explain. It's historical cultural ties, but also the bill, the the you know near uh, you know near one trillion uh, business relationship, I suppose, or trade that exists between the two islands. We're now at over seven hundred and thirty uh, uh, billion dollars of trade, and if you look at the extent of the relationship now between Ireland and the US, um, I think Ireland has over um, six hundred and fifty companies. You know, it has over one hundred and ten thousand people who are employed in America. Obviously, we know about the footprint of the US in Ireland, um, largely but not exclusively through FDI, over 900 companies employing over 180,000 here. And it's companies that have been here for a very, very long time as well. So I think when people see our ministers getting sent all over the world, but in particular, the role of the Taoiseach um, and, and his team heading over to um, uh, DC for St. Patrick's Day, I think people perhaps don't understand that behind it all is a massive, massive effort. What I tried to do during my time was either before or after Patrick's Day, either you go to the West Coast, up to Seattle, down to Silicon Valley in California or Texas or wherever else, or the East Coast, down to Georgia, Savannah, or Boston, Cleveland, Chicago, and so on, and build a real, a really important um, element of Irish connections around the Patrick's Day visit. So, you know, it's a bit, it's, a, it's always, a, a, you've seen them on television, and before you ever get there yourself and suddenly you say, well, I'm, I, I'm the person here carrying the responsibility for the country now. So it doesn't turn into a sort of a, a personal assumption of isn't this wonderful? Given the state of our nation at the time, it was a case of saying, I'm here to tell you that we mean business to restore our, our, our credibility and, and our, our, our good name and that we're going to do. And we need help from you to do that. Through gloomy shadows hang over thee now, as darkness is densest, even just before day, so thy gloom, truest Aaron, may soon pass away. Because for all the remarkable things the Irish have done in the course of human history, keeping alive the flame of knowledge in dark ages, outlasting a great hunger, forging a peace that once seemed impossible, the green strands they have woven into America's heart from their tiniest villages through our greatest cities is something truly unique on the world stage. The Shamrock Ceremony is quite simply one of the most important hard-headed parts of Irish foreign policy because it allows Ireland as a small state with limited global power, if you like, to have every year a meeting with the most powerful person in the world. And that, that blows out of the water any argument this is just a photo op, that this is just a bit of a green trickery or, or whatever. I don't think that you can um, imagine 
or name any other country of Ireland's size, geopolitical importance, economic importance, that has a meeting with the President of the United States every year. It's always in the diary. It's always spoken about. It's always important. And I don't think either there is another country that can exert a global influence with its National Saints Feast Day in that uh, there are a few countries who can turn the fountain outside the White House green. And were you to give up that opportunity, I think, you know, if it, if it went, Ireland would be the loser uh, in, in a real sense. Irish American, Irish American business, American business in Ireland loses that connection that has been there. It's not a guaranteed right, but it's one that's evolved um, since Ambassador Herlin sent the shamrock to uh, President Roosevelt in the first in the first instance, or, uh, and, and build on that. So, so in, in modern times, in the, in, in the last decade or so, there is a, a package put around that that is very significant. But you do get to meet the president, the vice president, the speaker of the house, the, the speaker of the senate, uh, and members of Congress and Senate from across the board. Former Taoiseach Enda Kenny and before that Dr Michael Kennedy from the Royal Irish Academy highlighting the importance of the St Patrick's Day engagements in Washington DC. So that's all we have for you. Thanks to our guests on this episode, Dr Michael Kennedy from the Royal Irish Academy, Ir Taoiseach Enda Kenny and John Bruton, former Obama speechwriter Cody Keenan and author and broadcaster Derville MacDonald. Some good news, we will release separate episodes with long interviews uh, with Enda Kenny, John Bruton and Cody Keenan. I think you'll agree, John, we uh, had some really, really great conversations yes, there. Yes, we spoke to Ir Taoiseach Enda Kenny about his career and his many visits to the United States. And we also chatted to John Bruton about his term as Taoiseach and European Union ambassador to the United States. And for listeners maybe who who might know uh, the plural of Taoiseach is excellent excellent thanks John just in case anybody out there didn't uh, didn't know that Cody Keenan he gave a very fascinating uh, insight into speech writing for one of the great orders of our time in Barack Obama uh, can't wait for you to listen to these very exciting and a lot more great interviews and guests coming in March too this has been the diplomatic pouch for now Goodbye. Take care.